Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world. Broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk Radio at... Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. You are listening to Blake Radio Network or Rainbow Soul. And tonight's topic is counterfeit health. Yes, counterfeit health. I came up with this topic when I was thinking, what, what is it? What is it about the healthcare system? What is really wrong with it? And what leads 880,000 people to their death every year at the hands of the healthcare system is that what's being sold is counterfeit. So what's being sold is the representation of health, not access to health itself. And that's the problem. And so this week's topic is logical thinking, evidence of, appears so, and how a counterfeit health system takes your health and wealth while giving a false appearance of health in return. And we're going to cover some of these um, counterfeit health measures like a normal blood pressure, normal blood sugar, and a lower cholesterol level. And how you have been conned into accepting false indicators of health in exchange for very real money and, of course, losing your health in the bargain, and, of course, always what to do, what to do. So what does counterfeit mean? Well, counterfeit is something that's fake or phony, uh, an imposture of the real. And in the case of health, not only is what people are getting fake and phony, but people are being conditioned and trained to accept a symbol of health in exchange for health itself. So let's take a look first at the false beliefs underpinning the counterfeit system. So there's some false beliefs that make the whole 
counterfeit system possible. And without these beliefs, it would not be possible to perpetrate this kind of fraud. So first thing is standardization. In other words, the belief that what is good for one person is good for everyone. The belief that there is a normal range, the belief that there is a standard, the belief that if you measure outside of these parameters, then you don't have health or you're not healthy. So this is absolutely false, absolutely false. In fact, it's so false that its character is revealed by the method of determining what is a healthy range. So how is it determined that something is healthy? For example, if you're a woman, how is it determined that a hemoglobin of between uh, 11 and 14 is healthy? How, how, did, how is that arrived at? Well, the way it's arrived at is they take 100 women who report being healthy, who have no known disease, and they measure their blood and they take a range. So in other words, this measure of blood is a stand-in, a surrogate measure, an imitation of what someone who feels good would have. So there is no measure of a normal range for a test that's independent of how a person feels. So the doctor doesn't have a test that's going to say, oh, uh, this test is not normal. Therefore, we know that you must feel bad. doesn't work that way. Because what they do, they tested all the people who felt well and then used that as a normal range. So feeling well is the reality. The test is just an attempt to measure that reality. So if you're already feeling good, then you don't need a test. Because all the tests are designed to do is predict whether or not you feel well. And so if you already feel well, then there's absolutely no reason for the test. And herein lies the total fallacy of the annual physical exam. Because if you feel well, that's pretty much the end game. You've achieved it. So that's false. So it's false that what's good for one person is good for everyone. Because there is a range of measures in any particular parameter, whether it's a uh, complete blood count, whether it's a chest x-ray, no matter what the test is, there is a range, pretty broad range actually, of what could be normal. And not only that, many people who don't feel good fall in that same range. So what's good for one person or what, what demonstrates health in one person also demonstrates health for another person or for everyone that's an underlying premise behind the counterfeit health system. So these measures then are actually counterfeit because they simply are an attempt to approximate the state of feeling good, of feeling healthy. And they're only an approximation and a very uh, poor one. The next assumption, which is false, false assumption, is what is good today is good tomorrow. So in other words, a normal range or normal number is considered to be good news. 
let's take a sample here. Let's take an example. A pulse of between 60 and 100 is a normal pulse. But if a person is riding a bicycle in a race or playing a basketball game, their pulse could go quite a bit higher, say 120 maybe. And that would be a healthy pulse for someone who is running, but a pulse of 60 for somebody who, say, playing basketball would be an unhealthy pulse. So the presumption is that health is static, that a healthy person is in a fixed range. So it doesn't take into account the dynamic nature of being alive. In medicine, we have a name for this. It's called variability. So it doesn't take into account that a healthy number, what is healthy, can change. So what this does then is it classifies healthy people who are properly, whose body is properly responding to environmental circumstances. It classifies those people as sick when actually, well, they're not. The next false belief that leads to these counterfeit health measures or their use is that test results actually reflect health. This is not true. Or that health is represented by these numbers. And so really the exact opposite is true, is that these numbers are an attempt to measure health. They themselves are not health. And we know this because many, many people go to the doctor and they get all kinds of tests done. All the tests are normal, but they feel lousy. So in other words, the tests have failed to predict or clear, predict that the person feels lousy or indicate why. Another reason why test results cannot reflect health is the method for calibrating these results. So you line up a thousand people, give all of them a blood test. We'll call it a hemoglobin test, for the sake of simplicity. And you figure out the range that encompasses 95% of those healthy people. And 5% of those healthy people are, by definition, will be determined to be ill because the range of values is designed to encompass only 95% of healthy people. So this sounds like, well, you know, you got to have a cutoff somewhere. Sounds good. But wait. Let's do a little bit of math. And if you're not good at math, you just have to take my word for the numbers. But if you're good at math, you can just do your math right along with me. So if a disease exists in only half a percent of the population, that's 0.005 individuals, and 5% will always show up as having the disease because this is the way the test is calibrated. 5% on any test, 5% of the population will always show up as having illness when actually they feel fine. So what you do then is you take the 5%, which is 0.05, divided by, so 0.05 is the number of positive tests, and divided by 0.005, which is the number of people who actually have the disease, and you have 10. 
So it means one in 10 of the positive tests will actually exhibit disease. Whereas nine in 10 of these positive test results will have no significance whatever and the person is actually healthy. What this does, as you can see here, is immediately multiplies the number of people labeled as sick from the actual number and it multiplies it tenfold. And this creates a tremendous amount of business for individuals who make testing machines, tremendous amount of business for um, hospitals who admit people for evaluation of abnormal test results, and of course, um, really makes uh, a lot of work for really anyone in the healthcare industry. And if we just take a look at this one little gold standard, then we can see then that at least 90% of all the um, therapies driven by testing have got to be misguided and of no benefit to the individual because the individual is actually, well, healthy. In other words, your body is doing what it is supposed to be doing. And so this is uh, really the crux of what's going on. So if you have an abnormal test value, chances are literally anywhere between 90% and 99%, there's actually nothing wrong. Now, I did not realize how bad this was when I was in medical school. We got these numbers, of course. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But in medical school, this was so clearly understood by those teaching us in medical school and our superiors that we would do a test on a patient, it would come back, suggesting disease, oh my God, oh my God, we got a test value, it's not normal, now what do we do? And so as a medical student, I was really excited, okay, okay, let's go, let's go. And so the senior doctor would say, not so fast, repeat the test. What? Repeat the test? Repeat the test? What do you mean repeat the test? The test says that there's a disease here. Aren't we going to go find it or treat it? Nope, nope, nope. We're going to repeat the test. And so, of course, this basically doubled, doubled the revenue from tests, right? Because every time you get an abnormal test, first thing you do is repeat it because you know there's a 90% chance that that test does not reflect any kind of illness or disease. So, your doctor knows that these tests do not represent disease. Now, there's another problem. The problem is the conditioning of individuals. That would be the patient. That would be you. This is, the, this is conditioning. So I'm going to bring to your attention beliefs you may harbor that are totally preposterous, and hopefully it will drive you to a hefty belly laugh. So here's the deal. There's something called a normal range. And people strive to be normal in all of their medical measures. I want my blood test to be normal. I want everything to be in the normal range. But they want to be exceptional in every other area of their life. So people want to be happier than the next guy. They want to have more money than the next guy. They want to have more health than the next guy. Well, how do you expect to be exceptional if you have normal laboratory values? not possible. Absolutely not possible. So here's the deal. 
this actually is borne out in testing. And we see this. And what do we see? If you take an individual, any individual, and you give them a bunch of tests, for sake of discussion, let's give them 20 tests, there's a 5% chance that 81 tests will be abnormal when actually there's nothing wrong. So if you give a person 20 laboratory tests, like on a blood sample, one of them is going to be abnormal, even if the person is healthy. This we know. Now, there's another thing. People can be extremely um, healthy and have some extremely awful-looking laboratory values. And each and every individual is different. So no two people are the same. This means that laboratory values in one person that are in the abnormal range may actually be a reflection of the person's exceptional uh, nature. Maybe one person has artistic tendencies. Maybe another person um, is extremely energetic. Maybe another person is, um, is brilliant. Or maybe one person has all these unusual uh, talents and dimensions. So would you really expect that person to have normal lab tests? not a routine, just like everybody else? Would you really expect a level of uniformity? Well, of course not. Absolutely not. So for people to have a desire in their lives to be exceptional, at the same time have a desire to have normal blood chemistries is, is absurd. In other words, you're never going to be happy because you're working against yourself. The actual creation of these normal lab values might actually destroy your exceptional talent. And we're going to get to that uh, in a minute as well. So the normal test result in this case is the counterfeit tender that poses as good health when it is not. In other words, the doctor will use drugs to take your abnormal laboratory value, make it normal, when the test was a false indicator of disease. And the change as a result of the doctor's intervention is also a false indicator of health. And the intervention itself often creates disease. The most famous example of this, of course, is the cholesterol test. So achieving these targets, these normal targets, not only fails to produce health, but actually produces illness. So let's take a look at some popular test values that are being used these days. Now, I'd like to also say that this um, mechanism on the part of the health medical industrial complex to strive to normalize test values and to create uniform human android units is complemented by people's desire to have normal tests. So unfortunately, people go to school and they've been getting tested and tested and tested um, from a very early age and they want to score well in their tests. And so this conditioning, unfortunately, has carried over to people's attitude towards their health. They want to score good on these health tests. But there are people who just like to take tests just so they can see those normal numbers. And so I'd like to say that by attempting to normalize all of your health numbers, instead of normal, uh, optimizing 
your human experience and happiness and health, you're actually cheating yourself out of good health. And you're cheating yourself out of what could be just a very fun and interesting life and fruitful life. So let's take a look at these uh, ordinary measures. Blood sugar, this is way cool. So um, there's a disease called diabetes. And diabetes means basically that your blood sugar is too high. And this is presumed to be a disease, this is an illness. And so the blood sugar is too high when a blood test called the hemoglobin A1C is greater than 6.5 or when a fasting blood sugar in the morning is more than 100. So more than 100, you're going to have either prediabetes or diabetes. So what could be, what could possibly, possibly be the problem here? Well, the problem here with normalizing the blood sugar and keeping it in the normal range between 60 and 100 is that there's a drastically increased death rate when blood sugars are normalized or kept in the normal range using medication. And so here we have a prime example where people are conditioned to check their blood sugar frequently, conditioned to self-administer lethal doses of medication. And actually, they do, in large numbers, kill themselves every year. So the blood sugar measure is a major example of counterfeit health. The counterfeit health is a normal blood sugar reading. And, of course, the real health would be to have energy, to live longer, and the blood sugar might be anywhere under 140. So if you control the blood sugar in a normal range, which is between 60 to 100, with drugs, then the individual will actually experience a much higher death rate. And the hemoglobin A1C reflects this. The hemoglobin A1C is 6.5, which is normal. And um, they found that hemoglobin A1C, anything less than 7.5, increases the person's death rate by as much as 30%. Yes, 30% more people will die uh, as they lower their hemoglobin A1C from the 7.5 level. So this is a case where the, the, the number, the normal hemoglobin A1C, or normal blood sugar is actually counterfeit. While the number is in the normal range, it does not represent improved health, does not represent health at all. And actually the opposite, it represents a person who is going to die prematurely from their therapy. And it is setting these targets, these health targets in the lethal range that makes medical care so deadly. And this is why competent, capable doctors adhering to the standard of care are a party to more killings than any incompetent doctor could hope to, to create. So that's the blood sugar story. The next imposter, the next counterfeit um, health that is delivered is control of high blood pressure. This is really shocking because way back when, show my age here, in the year of our Lord, 1985, yes, 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 1985, I was practicing medicine in the wilderness of northern Wisconsin on an Indian reservation, the Cooter Bay Indian Reservation. 
And I was, as you might imagine, back in 1985, no internet, and we barely had telephones. I was cut off from what people might call um, modern civilization. And so I made the heroic effort to keep up and stay in touch. And so I subscribed and spent substantial money um, ordering cassettes in the mail that would be the equivalent today of MP3 downloads. Cassettes in the mail that told me what was going on in medicine and what was the, late, the latest development. And so I got a cassette in the mail one day and popped it into my cassette player in my car. Um, distances there are very, very long drives. Um, and it said for hypertension, there is no, no increase in life expectancy that is experienced as a result of the treatment of hypertension. What? Why am I spending all day long as a family practice doctor treating hypertension when it doesn't extend life by one minute? It's treated. I was floored. I was so floored that there was a hypertension conference going on uh, about two weeks after that. And I went to that conference because I had no. And sure enough, at the conference, they repeated that information. And sure enough, back in 1985, now it's 2015. And guess what? Nothing has changed. The treatment for hypertension does not help hypertensive patients live a minute longer. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. So normalizing one's blood pressure using medication represents the use of a counterfeit that means invalid, fake, phony measure of health. And so people are taking these medications, experiencing side effects, of course, and not experiencing any extension of their life. Now, they didn't do the other test. They didn't do the other research, which is, could it be that the treatment of hypertension is shortening lives? That research study has not been done. But that's okay. That's okay. We just work with what we have. And so... What's going on? How could this be? Well, you have to take a look at what hypertension is. Now, in medical school, they tell us that hypertension is something that falls out of the sky, and it just enters people's body, and their blood pressure goes up. It's called essential hypertension. There is no cause. There is no cure. We simply control it with medication. Now, how scientific is that? Yes, that's not very scientific at all. All. So, what's another explanation for hypertension? Well, hypertension is the elevation of blood pressure because the heart receives a feedback impulse from the brain or from the kidneys indicating that they don't have enough oxygen. And so the heart, heroically, pumps harder to get blood to these two organs that don't have enough blood. And so if you give the body blood pressure lowering medication that lowers the blood pressure, you actually get less blood to the brain and even less blood to the kidneys. And it might be a reason for Alzheimer's and for kidney failure in people who have high blood pressure. So normalizing one's blood pressure with blood pressure medication represents achieving a counterfeit measure of health. In other words, the patient is accepting blood pressures in the normal range as a surrogate measure, an inaccurate surrogate measure 
for his actual health. And so what's the real measure? The real measure is uh, how are you feeling? Are you feeling better? Is the blood pressure going down on his own? Have you solved the underlying problem with the blood pressure? So with hypertension, we know that we've got a surrogate measure going on here that's not balanced at all. Again, this is by the industry uh, confession, industry standards. Another fake piece of, it, of evidence. So what do you do if you have hypertension? So obviously, if you have hypertension, you address the problem. What's the problem? The problem is no circulation to the brain, or not enough circulation to the brain and kidney. The first thing you do is drink water. What do doctors do? The first thing they do is give you a water pill so you pee out more water, and then tell you not to drink so much. Well, there you go, a downward spiral right there. So with hypertension, then, the, um, the answer is to drink more water, to gradually increase the water. This increases the circulation to the brain, to the kidneys, and actually lowers blood pressure. Actually lowers blood pressure. Awesome. Now, there's other herbs you can take, but the first step with hypertension is to understand that normalizing the hypertension, or the blood pressure, rather, with medications does not produce increased longevity, if that's what you're after, or quality of life. For most people, now some people, their blood pressure causes headaches, and they take their medicine, and their headaches go away. For that individual, maybe the person's getting an increased quality of life from the medications, but certainly they don't get an increase in length of life. It simply changes what you die from. So instead of dying from um, a heart attack, you might die, say, with kidney disease. So what's another um, imposter, another counterfeit health measure? Well, that would be famous, famous, famous cholesterol level. The cholesterol level, yes. So the cholesterol level, we'll get into um, heavy research about um, different studies and heart disease or this or that or whatever. I think with cholesterol, we can take a look at the forest and not worry too much about the trees. So cholesterol, just to bring everybody up to speed here, is a type of fat. Uh, the, the medical industrial complex has postulated that there's high-density lipoprotein, which is HDL. There's LDL, which is light-density lipoprotein. And then there's VLDL, which is very low-density lipoprotein. So it's high, low, and very low. And the lower you get, the worse it is. And so the thinking then is it's necessary to take drugs that will stop, that will lower the cholesterol level. Now, how do these drugs lower the cholesterol level? There's two um, ways, basically. One is they can bind cholesterol intestines. That's cholestyramine. That's not really used very much because it causes diarrhea and it's just like really uncomfortable and unpleasant. And so we have instead the um, lipid-lowering agents like Lipitor, Mevacor, and these control the cholesterol by blocking the liver and preventing the liver from manufacturing cholesterol. So now the liver cannot manufacture cholesterol. And this impairment of the liver leads to side effects, or more precisely, taking cholesterol medications leads to side effects 
and 30% of those who take it every single year, they get side effects. Now, how many people are helped by cholesterol medication? Every year, of all the people who take cholesterol medication, one person in 1,250 is helped. Yes. So the number that's helped is extremely small. The number that's harmed is pretty darn large. And so we can see then the successful marketing of this counterfeit health measure literally increases revenues in the healthcare system, in the um, sickness area, by a thousandfold. So where you would have one person in 1,200 benefit as a result of taking the cholesterol medication, 30% are actually harmed by it. And so in 1,200 people, that would be more or less 400 people every year are harmed by taking cholesterol medications for every one person that is helped. This is an appalling, appalling uh, safety or benefit profile, if you ask me. But again, nobody's asking me, is this this information for you to decide what you want to do? And so these are individual decisions for each listener to make, and there will not be a quiz. There is no right or wrong answer. It's your body and your life. So cholesterol then, the measurement of cholesterol and the treatment of cholesterol is a counterfeit health indicator. Why is it counterfeit? It's counterfeit because lowering it does not represent improved health. In fact, 30% of those taking it experience worse health, call it side effects. And cholesterol is actually an essential um, fat that your body manufactures. It's essential to the life of your body. It's used to repair cell membranes. It's the building block for testosterone, for estrogen, for adrenal hormones. So yes, by lowering your cholesterol or impairing your body's ability to make cholesterol, you can actually bring on adrenal dysfunction, testosterone, uh, low levels, low estrogen levels, and even worse, the whole body falling apart because it just cannot make repairs. So that's cholesterol, another counterfeit measure. Seriously counterfeit, again, because when you pay for this, what you're getting in exchange is not better health, but simply a number of representation. That would be like me taking a picture of a car and saying to you, this car is a real deal at only $25,000. Pay me $25,000 and I'm going to hand you this picture. But that picture is a picture of the car that is not a car. And this is exactly what's being sold in medicine. So you have a number that's being sold as representative of health when actually it's not healthy at all. And it doesn't represent good health. And so let's take a look at another um, measure. I'm going to say radionucleotide studies. And radionucleotide studies are of a special interest in areas like uh, back pain. In back pain, we are told that people have bulging discs. 
And these discs are bulging and impinging on nerves as they leave the spine. And this is what causes the um, radiculopathy or the pain in the lower back running all the way down the leg. And that is the theory. And so therapy for back pain is aimed at removing the bulging disc and fusing the bones together so the disc can't bulge and um, press against the nerve. Uh, And back surgery is scientifically proven to be ineffective. And this is by the medical industrial complex itself. So surgery for back pain is proven to be ineffective. And so x-rays of a bulging disc is a counterfeit symbol of disease or the cause of the back pain. And the repeat x-ray showing the disc has been properly removed and the spine fused is a counterfeit representation of health. So a normal x-ray is a counterfeit representation of health because people can have normal x-rays and still have rather severe uh, back pain. So what's the deal? How does this, can we clarify this? (laughs) The deal is this. If you take 100 people walking down the street and say, hey, over here. When they all have to have no back pain, and you do these x-ray studies on them, you will find um, quite a few have bulging discs. So bulging discs are something that people without back pain have, and it doesn't seem to cause back pain in most people who have it. And so what the medical industrial complex has done is it's chosen to focus on a laboratory result unrelated to the symptom, which is back pain and offer a counterfeit, uh, you could say fraudulent therapy, that addresses the abnormal x-ray instead of the person's pain. So what you have then is bait and switch. Oh, you have back pain, Uh, let's do an x-ray, oh, let's treat the x-ray. And so you have this whole um, cascade of events that sets in progress. The person gets back pain, I'm sorry, gets back surgery, they don't get relief and they're unhappy, but guess what? Everybody gets paid. So this is um, a prime example of counterfeit health. And so what's being sold then is a counterfeit symbol of health. So something that the medical industrial complex says, hey, this is healthy. If you have this, then you're going to be healthy. So buy this. Of course, the thing that they're marketing to you has really nothing to do with health at all. And we're going to do like two more examples and then we're going to take questions. Okay, so the next example, and this is a very common example, and this is a chest x-ray. Yes, a chest x-ray. Way back when, Again, I'll confess, I went to medical school in 1979. That was a long time ago. And so way back then, there was a question as to whether or not screening x-rays should be done. And of course, the um, 
if she was screening x-rays that really I didn't appreciate until later in my training is that many people have chest x-rays that are not normal and they feel perfectly fine. They're actually quite healthy. And many people have normal chest x-rays and they feel absolutely lousy. I mean, lousy. It's awful. And so the chest x-ray as an indicator of good health is not as good an indicator as we would hope. And I'll give you an example of, of, of what happened, which is really actually pretty scary. I was uh, a resident, and I was, uh, on the daytime, I was in the cardiology service. And so this patient came into the hospital. She was admitted to uh, an observation, make sure she didn't have a heart attack. And so they did a routine chest X-ray. And the chest X-ray looked white, absolutely white. And so in a chest X-ray, the color white is very bad. Air is black water is white. So lungs that are white are like lungs full of water. So I was like, oh my God, is this person drowning? Do they have heart failure? And so of course, you look at the x-ray, her heart was a normal size, so the heart wasn't failing. Then you look at her, she's breathing fine. So you realize then that this x-ray represents something other than active disease. And so for the questioning, she said, yes, you know, I came from the Midwest and we have this XYZ parasite and everyone gets it and all the, lung, all the chest x-rays in my city. Um, look like this. Okay, great, no problem. So I went home for the night, and of course, another resident was on call. And of course, she then had the night shift of nurses. Well, the nurse in the night shift, oh, by the way, so you have standing orders. Can't kill a patient without standing orders. So the standing orders, the nurse is allowed to get some LASIK if she wants to, she's allowed to get pain pills, whatever. It's always standing orders. And so the nurse decides she's going to look through this patient's chart, and she sees this x-ray that's all white. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she decides she's going to order a portable chest x-ray, and the guys in x-ray come to the room, and they do an x-ray, and, oh, my God, it's all white. And she says, oh, there's fluid in the lungs. And sure enough, she whips out the intravenous Lasix and squirts this lady into the veins with Lasix, and this lady proceeds to piss out basically her blood volume and she becomes dehydrated and passes out and darn near dies. Why? Because the nurse was treating the counterfeit measure of health. She was treating chest x-ray. And this happens uh, more frequently than we would like to uh, acknowledge. And so these things happen all the time. And so because we have these counterfeit measures of health, then people are actually given drugs to move them in a direction towards improving a measure that is counterfeit. And so all the person can hope to experience, of course, is the negative effect from drugs because the positive effect was never there to be had because the person was actually healthy. Another thing that happened uh, in training and in medical school, medical school and residency, which is very, very... Uh, Disturbing, actually disturbing. Uh, because as a, as a medical student or as a resident, you're standing by, these senior doctors are doing these things, and you're not in a position to um, intervene, number one. Number two, there's not even anyone to complain to. Who are you going to complain to? These people have a special license, permission from the government to kill people. And so this is okay. Uh, in most cases, normalization of the laboratory values is very damaging, actually. And this was evident in medical school uh, and in residency. Um, 
The method on admission to the hospital was to test a given patient for everything the insurance company might pay for. Everything. And, and uh, this is the um, 80s. In the 90s, it went to a high art. So now when you go to the hospital, they swipe your insurance card and literally a screen pops up showing every last test your insurance company will pay for on this admission. And then your attending doctor is actually pressured into ordering every test on that list. That was the point at which I decided I needed to stop stop taking care of people in the hospital and just keep people out of the hospital. Um, and so what happens then is if you do all of these tests, then all you need is, is 20 tests. You're going to get an um, unhealthy reading in a healthy person. And then once these um, spurious abnormal lab values are identified, therapy, unnecessary and harmful therapy, is started to bring these values into the normal range. This was quite evident with diabetics who came into the hospital with blood sugars of 300 to 600. Now, hot tip. If your blood sugar is between 300 and 600, it's not a hospital. It's not a matter for the hospital. It can be handled outside the hospital. That's just an aside. By the way, this is not medical advice. Just sharing my experiences and opinions. Anything you do in it is you know, your responsibility. Okay, I accept absolutely no responsibility for whatever outcome. So what happened, though, when these people came to the hospital, blood sugars were 300 to 600, and they were walking, and they were talking, and they were breathing. Uh, the latest blood sugar prior to death was normal. Normal blood sugar, normal potassium, normal sodium, carbon dioxide, normal tests. The tests were normal, but the patient died. After this happened a few times, it was clear to me that maybe these people would be better off with an abnormal value or two. And so you have to um, not accept counterfeit measures of your health. If you are feeling well, then you are well. That's, unfortunately, that's true. And so many people, oh, my gosh, can I improve this? Can I take this supplement, that supplement, this drug, that drug? Stop, 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 stop. Your body, your immune system has optimized your functioning level. And... If you are in good health, you need to enjoy your good health. And if something bothers you, something's not quite right, not quite perfect, you're not happy with it, well, then, of course, you should maybe look for a solution to your discomfort. But to simply chase after, the, um, after eternal youth is not wise. It's, a, it's, it's not wise. Um, because a lot of things out there are counterfeit and are um, dangerous. For people who have questions about those things, um, I do have monthly office hours, and it's on a subscription basis, and you can go to vitalitycapsules.com, and along the top, you can click on office hours. And so it's a membership thing, and it's once a month. Right now, there's still $9.95 for monthly membership, but it will be going up to $49.95 in approximately two weeks. So you have one more week. All right, we've got questions. Let's take a look over here. Okay. Hmm. Let me try this button. Hmm. Hi, 0240, you're on the air. Your name? Hi. Hi, you there? Hi. 
Yeah, what's your name? Okay. Let's see if we have actually we have quite a few questions here in the chat room. Very active chat room. What about body mass index? Okay, what about body mass index? All right. So I'm gonna read into this question. So I'm gonna say um, is body mass index an indicator of health? There you go. So the normal BMI, body mass index, an indicator of health. Based on the latest um, available information, no, it is not. It is not. So people who are the longest lived in the United States actually have high body mass, have a high BMI. So that's very interesting. So you want to have a BMI on, on the high side. There you have it. Okay, so this other person says, what about high blood pressure? Should people with hypertension avoid salt? The answer is most people who have high blood pressure have a deficiency both of salt and water, but water more so than salt. So a person with high blood pressure would do better to start drinking more water, and no, I don't mean tap water. And um, that would be distilled water or um, reverse osmosis water. So they you know, cautiously increase their intake of water. The easiest way to increase your intake of water is stop every beverage and convert it to water. So if you're drinking fruit juice, drink water instead. If you're drinking coffee, substitute water for your coffee. So that's the way you increase your water intake. And most people who have high blood pressure will notice that it falls. And then with salt, the best place to start is put salt on your food to whatever tastes good to you. So salt to taste. And there is no agreement, I repeat, no agreement in the medical community as to what is the proper amount of salt and if salt should be restricted in blood pressure patients. And doctors are viciously arguing among themselves about this. And if you eavesdrop on the conversation, you will find that in the past six months to a year, it's like, wait a minute, we got to flip a coin so all of us agree and our credibility is not destroyed. So now the focus is on shoring up the credibility of the medical profession by putting out a unified front. There's not an effort to sort out what are your patients who need to restrict their salt? Who are these patients and how can we identify them? Are there patients who need more salt? Who are they and how can we identify them? So there's no focus on the patient. The focus is on a standardized uh, party line that can be repeated. <laughs> okay. So what is Dr. Daniel's advice for people who are too yin to get more yang? Okay. Well, there's a lot of yang to go around. So um, people who are too yin, what makes people too yin? What makes people too yin is um, lots of water drinking, lots of vegetables. Um, that's what makes people very yin. So this person might be a vegetarian slash vegan. I know I was very, 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 very in. Like I would go visit the um, Ayurvedic uh, specialist just on a friendly basis. I would just say, hi, I'm Jennifer. How are you? She says, oh, you're too yin. <laughs> so how do you get yang? The simplest way to get yang, if you're uh, a vegetarian and would like to stay vegetarian, is to eat ginger. Ginger is one of the most yang vegetables. And so um, 
eat ginger. And what you can do is you can um, slice or grate ginger into your cooked dishes, and that will definitely increase your yang. Okay. I lost my questions. Could you please move? I thought they were going to add statins to the tap water. Um, you know, that there was a move to do that. I'm not sure what happened to that. Um, that was something in the 90s. Uh, there was a move in the 90s. Okay, what caused the white chest x-ray? Um, this lady had um, a type of rickettsia infection, which was endemic, endemic, that means most everyone in her uh, area where they lived had this infection due to the uh, bird population or animal population. It was a pretty rural area. And so the um, residual of the rickettsia infection was some calcification throughout the lungs. And so what looked white in her lungs was actually calcium. It wasn't water at all. Okay. I wonder what would happen if they measured blood velocity rather than blood pressure. Um, nothing much. They would still kill just as many people because the goal is to kill people. And so what happens then, since that's the goal, is um, these measures, these health measures, are set such that if doctors follow the standard of care and medicate people to reach these goals, a certain number, in this case, 880,000, are going to die. And so that's the thing I think to realize, the take-home message, is that these health measures are actually calibrated and designed to create increased number of deaths. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so somebody in the chat room says that they smoke two packs of black tobacco for 40 years and feel great. I'm not familiar with black tobacco, but I am familiar with Mushio Kushi, uh, founder of the um, macrobiotic movement, who smoked four packs per day of cigarettes and lived until the ripe old age, I believe, in at least 94. And so there's a lot of factors you can modify um, the effect of tobacco on the system the type of tobacco you drink, the type of diet that you have, a lot of modifying factors. And health is not uh, one-dimensional. <laughs> All right. Okay. Does the type of salt matter, for example, Himalayan salt? Uh, personally, in my opinion, you know... <laughs> I know this is like not going to be popular, not going to sell a lot of salt, but you know, I've, I've cured people with table salt. So um, sea salt is fine. I recommend people just use sea salt. So if you want to go any further than that, then you can, but sea salt is fine. If you want to use Himalayan salt, uh, pink salt, whatever, you know, it's whatever your budget uh, will tolerate, um, that's fine. But I've found that sea salt is certainly um, quite enough. It gets the job done, in other words. What percent of doctors do you consider as being psychopaths? I've answered this one before. Uh, really, I think that the doctors are simply in a state of, of hypnosis or really uh, a trance. And it's a matter of them waking up. 
if they wake up. And it's really not even a matter of them waking up, it's a matter of patients waking up. And it's the patients who are in a trance. It's the patients who are accepting these measures, these counterfeit measures of health. And I think until patients themselves accept personal, total, and complete responsibility for their health, when I say accept responsibility, I mean on an emotional and financial level, this will continue. And what people will find, once they accept responsibility for their health financially, what I mean by financially, I mean if they cannot afford it, they don't get it. And when you think about 90% of healthcare being um, not helpful, then it makes sense to have everyone pay cash for their health care and not pay for health that they cannot afford and not receive help that they cannot afford because chances are 97% chance that that health care they are unable to afford would not be beneficial for them. Okay. Do inorganic minerals from rocks like anti clarity turn organic when consumed in their body? The answer is no. And in the anti clarity system, that's not the reason for the minerals. So what you do with the added clarity minerals is you put them in the water, they clump with the um, impurities, making them large enough so they do not pass through the ceramic filter. And then what happens is the resulting water is much cleaner without um, having to use uh, as fine a filter or as lengthy a process in filtering it. All right, I'm just going to click this. Yeah. Okay, so the question is, is the blood aiming at a desired volumetric flow rate of blood? And the answer is, uh, no, it's not. The, the body is aiming at a perfusion rate, which is different from flow rate. So a flow rate is how fast is the blood moving? A perfusion rate is where is it going? And those are two different questions. If you measure the rate of blood flow, say, in a major artery, it tells you absolutely nothing about whether or not there's blood um, circulating to all the organs and to the fingertips and toes. And so we get down to what about, um, you know, what is it you decide to measure and how you decide to measure it? And that's the key. And the selective decision has been made to measure fake Surrogate. So what are we going to do next week? Next week topic is is medicine good for broken bones or is it? So I'm going to examine cases of orthopedic injuries and I'm going to sh share with you research done by the medical industrial complex itself indicating whether or not um, surgical intervention is actually superior. So we're going to take a look uh, next week, and we're going to check it out. You know, is it worth risking your life to submit to medical care for orthopedic intervention? Think happens. See you next week.